Good morning. I finally Good get morning. to sit in the, country, the comfy chair and across from one of my favorite people. So this is a good morning. For those of you who don't know, it is my pleasure to introduce the incomparable Donna Loop. <laughs> Too much? Too far? Yep. Sorry. <laughs> the in no way average Donna Loop. Um, we, and, and all is right in the world right now because Donna and I have our coffee in our hands talking about Jesus, this is, this is our wheelhouse, so this is good. We, Donna, for those of you who don't know, um, oversees uh, children and family ministries here, uh, has, has had an extraordinary influence over, uh, over a couple generations now, in a sense, it is pretty awesome. Uh, and what we want to, we want to take a minute to talk about this morning, um, as we've been going through the figuring out who would be a great interview for each particular week. Uh, one of the first ones that came to our mind is as soon as we said, well, this week we're going to be talking about prayer. And Donna immediately uh, was the first name on the list because um, I will acknowledge if Donna were saying this about me right now, I would be horrified, um, but I would have to get over it. So, um, so forgive me, sorry, not sorry. Um, Don- Donna is has a rhythm of prayer in, in her life. So daily, you will, you will see here, if you spend time around the office, um, sometimes she just kind of vanishes from, from her office and you will see her either walking around the property or in inclement weather, you'll see her just kind of doing laps in the great room here. Um, but she is she's a woman of prayer. If she says she's going to pray for you, you can, you can rest assured that she will be praying for you. Um, and so I, I want to take... A minute um, and ask you first of all how has how has developing that that kind of rhythm of prayer affected you over the course of your life oh well that's a simple little question isn't it that rhythm of prayer has been born out of realizing that I've got nothing <laughs> that probably early in my ministry years I might have thought, you know, you finish Bible school, you're like, I can do this. And pretty soon you realize, oh, no, I cannot. <laughs> and so um, that, that rhythm has come from realizing that if I'm not committed to praying for you all, if I'm not committed to praying for each of our kids by name, then what am I doing here? Um, I, I believe that it is God who does the work in our hearts, to willing to work for his good pleasure. He is the one who draws us to himself. And if I truly believe that, then we have to pray. We have to rely on God to do that. And I am quick to say I'm a prayer warrior wannabe, and I'm just feeling like I am just now starting to get it a little bit. And so this by no means comes from a feeling of, I've got this nailed. Um, May we all keep growing all of our lives, right? And learning to rely on Jesus more. So, um, yeah, does that answer it? I think that's, you mentioned something I think that is really helpful. Um, We don't necessarily think I think often about prayer, like, like oftentimes we can kind of assume it's either something you're good at or you're not good at and don't put it in the category of things that you practice and get better at. Like it becomes more comfortable and more a part of your natural rhythm. And so you mentioned growing in that. Can you give an example of one way over the last few years that you feel like you have grown in, in your prayer life? Mm, lots of ways. And I'm so thankful for that. I I think we all come into our faith with Christ sort of thinking of prayer as bringing our list to God and asking him for things or to do stuff. And the the older I get, the more I realize it is not that at all. I mean, yes, we come and we ask for things, but it's to know him. It's to hear his heart. It's entering into his presence so that we know him more and trust him more no matter what he chooses to do in the circumstances that we're seeking him for. Um, So 
I guess that has really just learning to come to him in all sorts of different ways, all sorts of different volumes, all sorts of different postures. Um, Robbie mentioned I love walking and praying. That has been like one of my greatest delights. Um, the Lord has certainly heard from me both on my face and in loud <laughs> exclamation. And it's, my friend's prayer is not supposed to be boring. It is delightful. And so if you're stuck in a rut, my thought is, my goodness, do something different. <laughs> Try a different place. Try moving differently. Try just come to him to pour your heart out to him. Come to him with your Bible in your hand and pray scripture back to him. And watch what he'll do, how he'll meet you, and how delightful you will find that time with him. That's, that's really good. Those are, those are very practical bits. What, what about the person who says, where do I even start? Like, it's one thing for you to say, I already have this foundation of prayer and I'm trying to improve it, but I don't even feel like I know where to start. How, how would you encourage that person? I guess, I mean, it, it's helpful to start with a prayer list. Um, I have a system. It's a prayer notebook where I keep track of who I have said that I will pray for. And um, I make sure that I'm diligent to do that. And that is really, that was the foundation of my growth in learning to pray outside that box. So I guess I would say find a system that works for you. And for some people, that will be no system at all. And I understand that. Um, I'm married to one who doesn't particularly like systems. Right? So, um, so I get that. But we all find a place that, that fits us to start and then be faithful to it. Even on days when, eh, my heart's just not really, pray anyway, <laughs> and, and cultivate that habit of prayer, and God will be faithful to meet you in it, and then don't be afraid to grow from there, that's the thing, I think we all get stuck in ruts, right, or at least maybe those of us who like systems get stuck a little more often, I don't know, but try, try something new, listen to Psalms, um, read them out loud, back to the Lord, just do some things that push you outside your comfort zone so that you will continue to grow. That's really good. And I do think it is important. I'm glad that you brought that up. It's important to acknowledge um, Donna and I, for example, are wired very differently. Donna's very type A. She's asking me questions about sermon series in July of 2022. And um, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, yes, we should probably have a sermon then at some point. <laughs> Um, I don't think that way. She's more type A, I'm more type B, so our systems are going to look very different. But, but even for, for uh, a type B, you, you need to have some sort of, the point is intentionality, right? The point is saying, I, I want to be able to do what I need to do to remember this. So I'm sure our prayer lists would look very different. Yours is probably very organized. I'm sure there's dates, perhaps alphabetized. I don't know how categories. far you go with that. Don't categories. You got categories. Awesome. Mine, mine gets uh, scribbled into a notebook that I carry with me almost everywhere. And so, and it works awesome as long as I remember where I put my notebook. Um, but if I don't, if I don't engage in some way, if I don't take a step of intentionality, then, then I'll, um, then I'll, I'll forget. And, and I want to also remember, I, I don't want to, the system is going to look different for me, but I also need to develop some sort of system so that um, so that I don't forget the people that I intend to pray for. I don't forget what God has taught me as he's communicating to me. I want to make sure to write that down because I don't want to forget. Um, but I think, I think that's really good. That's really helpful. How, um, this is probably kind of coming back circle again, but um, you, you mentioned at the very beginning kind of this, the, you know, how, are you, how do you even do ministry if you're not praying? How, how do you relate like the work of ministry and prayer? How do you weigh those things out? Does that make sense? Are they supposed to be separate? Oh, that's such a great answer. That's such a, I <laughs> gave you the alley-oop and she just dunked that thing. 
Hardcore. That's exactly right. I think that's I think that's really great. How how uh, practically do you view those as integrated? Like, what does that look like for you as you're working on your schedules or whatever? Because you have lots of administrative things you have to do. How do you how do you make sure prayer is enmeshed in that? I, <clears throat> I think that as we. Uh, Whatever we're approaching, whatever kind of job, whatever kind of ministry, if we're asking God to guide our steps and intentionally waiting to listen to his voice, um, sometimes that, that changes the direction that you're intending to go. And I need to be okay with that. I'm not super good at change. You might have noticed that. Um, these last two years have been very challenging. challenging. <laughs> um, but, but that requires me to come to what I do with prayer. And, and that's been super good for me. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't undo these last two years and what, what God has chosen to do and how he's met me in it. Even though I've been in tears in the office on a regular basis. Well, not regular. Okay. Yes, I had a few meltdowns, but <laughs> semi regular. <It's> <laughs> oh, I thank you so much, John. I think I, I hope that you guys are as blessed by that as I am, as encouraged by that. And I would encourage you, if you hear that and you think that there's something in that that I really I really want to grow in that, I want to understand that better, I would encourage you, don't hesitate to come and talk to Donna about that. She, the reason we picked her is because she not only is somebody who lives in a rhythm of prayer, but is delighted to talk about it. So as you can see, like there's, there, there's joy just emanating from her as she just talks about prayer. So please take advantage of that and come and ask her how you two um, can, can have that kind of joy and delight in your daily rhythm of communion with our Heavenly Father. Donna, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking thank the time. Thank you. I appreciate being um, here. I'm going to pray for us really quick. We're going to uh, transition, but before we release the kids, um, we're going to have a, a, a moment of pastoral prayer as well. But I just want to pray for you, Donna, really quick. Father, thank you so much. I thank you for the work that you are doing in Donna, for the work that you're doing in, in her, uh, through her in the ministry to children and family in this church. Um, she is such an extraordinary blessing to this place and, uh, and a blessing not because of the work that she does, but because of who she is and what she brings into every context. Uh, the, the, the deep love that she has for you and the love that she has for these families is extraordinary and encouraging and convicting. Um, and I pray that the people of this church would feel you loving them through Donna in this extraordinary way. God, make us all people of prayer, that we would delight in it, we would find joy in it, that we would seek to grow in it. And it's in your precious name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Donna. Good morning. Well, it is good to be with you all this morning, to be worshiping Jesus, to be coming before him, and to be anticipating Christ in our midst, working in our hearts, doing what he will have done this morning. And I just want to pray one more time that he would do that in each one of us as we hear his word and as we think about the things that we've already heard this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you that we can be together, that we have your sure word to turn to? Would you please speak to us? Would you fill us with your spirit? We pray for the little ones who have left to go into uh, faith kids. We pray that you would teach them. Would you empower and strengthen each teacher? Give them joy and laughter and energy. Thank you for nursery workers and tech workers, musicians, all those you brought together this morning to serve you. And we pray for each of our hearts that you would dwell there and fill us as we hear your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. The basics. The basics. What are the absolutely essential things that a disciple of Jesus needs to grow and thrive in their walk with him and to make more disciples? What are the absolute essential things? Each week through this series, 
That's what we've been trying to answer. What are the things, the basic things that are just needed by every disciple of Jesus, no matter where they are in their walk with Jesus? We've done it in a way that if you would take even one of the topics away, we're convinced that a disciple would not thrive. A disciple would not grow and they'd be missing out on something significant in their walk with Jesus. If you took even one of the things away that we have covered. We've looked at the first three weeks, we're trying to answer the question of who are we in Christ? Who are we as a disciple of Jesus? And then out of that flows this, what we do. Based on who we are in Christ, then we serve him and we love him and enjoy him in the world. And now we've come to the last three weeks of this series, Basics, and we're looking at how are we formed? How is it that a disciple of Jesus will come to resemble him more and more in every area of their life, in their thinking and their feeling and in their doing? How is it that we are formed in his likeness? Last week, we looked at the Word together. The Word is a book that is breathed out by God for us, for our good. It's written by disciples for disciples. We talked about how the word for a disciple is relational. It's this vehicle through which we connect with the living God. We talked about how it's transformational, how it brings about change in us as we take it in. And then we talked about how it nourishes our soul, that we consume it. And as we digest it, we're changed and empowered. When we approach the Bible in the way that we talked about last week, we will find that our times in the Word are also times in prayer, our topic for today. And as we engage in prayer the way we're going to talk about today, we'll find that our times of prayer are also times in the Word. Those things, prayer and Word, they go together for us, for a disciple. They're really inseparable. Like for some of us, maybe peanut butter and fill in, I don't know, chocolate? Maybe that's not your thing. Maybe it's popcorn and butter. One for me is fishing and catching fish, right? (laughs) Some things are just better together. So this morning, as we shift our focus to prayer, we'll see that the way that we approach it is very similar to the way that we talked last week about approaching the Word. We approach it relationally, and we approach it transformationally. We approach prayer with the same heart, with the same aims that we do with the Word. It's relational, meaning that it's intimate. It's personal. Like Donna said in her story of connecting with Jesus, prayer is all about connecting with him. It's all about communing with God, with the God who made us, the God of the universe. Prayer is one way that we experience that communion with him, that unity with him. And as we go through our life experiencing the ups and the downs with him, we get to know him better, more and more and more. Our intimacy will grow with him. We're never more human than when we're in prayer. It's our most human act. It's what God intended for us to be, constantly connected with him. And then it's transformational. It changes us inwardly, but then we're going to see that prayer also transforms the world outwardly. It's transformational both inwardly and outwardly. Part of the beauty and the challenge of prayer, though, is that it's mysterious, right? As human beings, we can't fully understand it. We can't fully comprehend it. You're probably sitting there with all sorts of questions. Even as I was writing and thinking through this sermon, questions were coming to my mind. You know, but the good news is we don't need to fully comprehend prayer, and we don't need to have all of our questions answered in order to enter into it and actually really enjoy it. We don't need to have it all figured out to connect with God. In fact, not having it all figured out is an important part of what prayer is, an important part of coming to Jesus in faith with open hands. The good news is, though, that God has revealed a lot of truth about it in his word. He has said lots that we can comprehend and understand. When we come to the Bible, we see that the Bible is full of human beings who interacted with God. It's full of prayers heard by God and answered by God in powerful ways that really kind of blow our mind when we read them. We see prayer life after prayer life, human beings communicating with God and God communicating with them throughout the Word. 
just ordinary, real human beings made of the same stuff that we're all made of, connecting with Him. Not just wishing that things would change around them or in them, but actually connecting with God and asking for Him to change the things in them and around them. Asking Him, God, bring your power to bear upon this need. For example, Elijah He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and then for several years it didn't rain until he prayed again, and then it rained. Think about Daniel. Daniel, forbidden to pray, prays anyways, gets thrown in a lion's den as a result of it, yet trusts God who shuts the mouths of the lions, and he's he's unharmed. We come to the book of Acts in the New Testament. We see Peter kneeling next to Tabitha who had passed away, who had died. He's kneeling and praying next to her body, and God brings her back to life as Peter prayed. Another example that I want to look at together from the book of Acts records some of the earliest disciples of Jesus in prayer, right after Jesus ascended to heaven. Imagine what this would have been like. So they had lived with him and walked with him down streets. They had loved him and obeyed him and served him, and then experienced an excruciating watching him be crucified, losing him, only to be astonished by an empty tomb and a resurrected Jesus interacting with them. Only then again, he leaves again and ascends to heaven. Imagine, as a human being, what that experience would have been like, the ups and the downs of it and and the confusing moments of it. What would you do in that moment? What would you do now that he's left you again and he says that I've, I've left you, I will come back someday, but you know you have some time now when he's not going to be with you physically. This is what they did. Acts 1.14 And these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In that moment of, now what? We, we, we want to continue his mission. We want to continue to follow him, but he's ascended to heaven. They prayed together in this upper room because prayer is integral to the mission of God. For them to continue on with what Jesus had given them to do, they needed to remain in touch and in contact with him. So they entered into prayer together. It's integral to what God has given us to do in the world. And Jesus, throughout the Gospels, had modeled this sort of prayer for them lots of different times. If we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we'll see examples, lots of them, of Jesus praying. Sometimes Jesus goes and prays by himself in secret, like in this passage, Mark 135. It says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, And there he prayed. Other times he prays with groups of people when he's healing or providing and asking God to provide in some way. Prayer is both individual and corporate. Prayer is both something to be done in secret, but also with each other. It's an important connection for us with each other as well. When his disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, he gave them what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. Right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, every part of me just wants to linger on this. <laughs> but we, we recently did a whole series on the Lord's Prayer. If that's something that you would like to delve into more deeply, I would encourage you to find those sermons or talk to me. The Lord's Prayer for me is central to my connection with Jesus. Followers of Jesus, since the moment he gave it to those first apostles, have had a thoughtful, heartful prayerful experience of him through that short prayer. They're Jesus's priorities for our prayer life. And praying it daily for me has radically changed me. It's changed the way that I've experienced God. 
But I'm not going to linger on it this morning. We're going to continue on. But in both Jesus' example and his teaching, we see that prayer is relational connection with the living God. When we pray, this might sound too simple, but I think it's really important. When we pray, we need to remember that God is personal, that we're interacting with a person in a relational way. God isn't just a concept like a philosophy that we draw comfort from, and he isn't electricity that we just need to plug into somehow in order to get things done. He's a person. Prayer, then, is personal and relational connection with that living God who is a person. That's what it is. It includes both us crying out to him, giving voice to what's going on inside of us to him, but then also, like Donna said, it's him speaking to us. It's true interaction, not just a monologue from us to him. There are really important times in prayer where we stop speaking or we're silent. We listen, we wait, and we enjoy God's presence in those moments. And we just fix the gaze of our soul upon him. And we wait on him. We wait for him to move in us and to speak to us, for him to bring a passage of Scripture to mind, maybe. Another important aspect of prayer that Jesus models for us in the Word that builds on this relational component is that prayer is honest and prayer is real. When we pray, we don't need to pretend or put on a show in some way so that God will hear us. We bring our real selves to prayer. Guys, if you could put Luke 22 up on the screen. I think these are two fascinating sentences about this. And he, Jesus, withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There's a lot going on here and a lot of background that we're not going to get into this morning, but what I want you to see is that Jesus shares his honest request with his loving Father. And only after doing that does he end in the place of saying, yeah, but not my will, but your will be done. Your will is good. Your will is right. After laying out what he's feeling and thinking and desiring to God, then he ends in this place of saying, yeah, but not my will, but your will be done. I know for years in my prayer life, I had a really hard time doing the first thing. I knew that I was supposed to desire God's will for everything in my life, so I would skip sharing the honest desire of my heart, or I wouldn't take the time to even think about what do I actually want. But I think this example from Jesus shows us that God really wants us to at least start in the place where we tell him and share with him, this is what's going on in me. This is what I want. Sure, I think after we do that with him and we connect with him, he will bring us to the point of saying, just like Jesus did, yeah, but not my will, God, but your will be done. But we need to start with where we really are with him because this is real interactive connection with him. One other observation from this passage, if you guys could put it back up one more minute. Luke captures that Jesus knelt when he prayed. You notice that? He was about a stone's throw away from them and he knelt. Jesus prayed with his body. Praying with our bodies is important. And I'm not saying that God's not going to hear us if we don't kneel or have the proper posture. It's not like that. But God made us body and soul. And so when we come to him in prayer, it can really be helpful for us to use our entire body when we engage in prayer. Now, for some of you, thinking about kneeling is like, no way, I'm not kneeling. Either I'm not getting up or it's going to be so excruciating. I'm with you. You don't have to kneel. There are other postures that we could take, though, right? Like, instead of sitting on the sofa, which for me, I can't focus for very long there because I'm reclining, right? I sit on a chair with a straight back so that I can have a posture that's alert and attentive. That could be a great substitute for a kneeling if kneeling doesn't work for you. Some other postures that we could take as well are, you know, we already do this in this room a lot. We fold our hands. 
Now, this, beca- this has become for some of us just such an automatic thing that we don't really think about it anymore, but it's a way that we pray with our body. You know, another thing you could do with your hands is just to hold them out, like open before God, knowing that he's there and you can receive from him. I would encourage you to experiment with that. Experiment with eyes closed and then with eyes open. And maybe even praying prayers out loud. I don't know if you've, if you've tried that. Driving a car, praying a prayer out loud can actually be a pretty powerful thing. And no one knows what you're doing around you. They just think you're talking to your speakerphone, right? But think about ways that for you might be helpful to pray with your body. Because what can happen is sometimes our heart isn't ready yet to engage with God. Sometimes our hearts just feel like stale. But if we pray with our bodies, our body can often pull our heart towards God. If we bow before him and put our hands out, there's something about that activity because of the way God made us as physical beings that can draw our heart to him. And Jesus models that for us very subtly in this passage, but it's there. So prayer is relational. Prayer is also transformational, right? As we pray, we are changed. As we spend time with God, we're transformed into new beings. It's the same if we spend time with each other. We take on characteristics of those who are around us. Thanks for sharing that, Josanelle. So, so for those of you who are online, you might not have heard Josanelle, but he was saying growing up in Haiti, he's thinking about praying with his body, they would lay on the ground and pray and cry out to God. I commend that to you as well. There's something about this total submission and giving of yourself to him in that moment of prayer. Spending time with Jesus in this way transforms us. And you know, sometimes we don't realize we're being transformed, but people around us and in our life do. We taste different as they interact with us after we spent time with Jesus. That's inward transformation, but now I want to transition and think a bit about outward Because prayer also transforms things outwardly. The world is changed as we pray. God, for some reason, has ordained that our prayers are a foundational way that we join him in his work of overcoming evil with good. It's an important part of the mission that we have as disciples of Jesus. And it's an important part of what it takes to make more disciples of Jesus. Matthew records for us this scene where Jesus is looking out on crowds of people. And as he looks out on the crowds, he's filled with compassion. He tells them they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And in that moment, he's feeling it. They they need a shepherd. I'm here to be their shepherd. They need me. And then he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It's this simultaneous good news, bad news. Good news, the harvest is plentiful. We don't have enough laborers to bring it all in. We need laborers to bring in the harvest. And then what Jesus does next, I think, is very instructive for us. Matthew 9.38, we have a slide for this one. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As he's on this mission, raising up Followers of him seeing the possibilities, seeing the fields ripe for harvest. He knows that there needs to be more laborers, and what does he do? He engages them together to pray to God that God would meet that need. In that moment, showing them that as you do this, as you make disciples of me, you have to continue to connect with the Father because this is his work. Trusting that he will raise up more who can come alongside you to bring this harvest in. 
It's integral to the mission of God. Last week, I shared a bit more about my story of discipleship, and we had a few names, Paul and Max and Vic, and then Norman. And Norman's the one who really came alongside me and helped me grow as a disciple of Jesus. When I think back to my times with him, we did some goofy stuff. But the things that impacted me the most were the times when we would sit or walk or be together and just pray together. We would think about the people that are around us, what their needs are. You know, this was done in a campus context, so we would pray for dorms and we'd pray for floors in the dorms that God would raise up disciples. And then we'd move from there to nations, praying that God would send out missionaries and followers of Jesus into these places that needed him. Ultimately, we landed on praying that God would put laborers for Jesus next door to everywhere. That everyone would have a neighbor who knows and loves Jesus and could help them do the same. That God would send them out. Praying with Norman that way connected he and I in a really powerful way. There's, There's something powerful about engaging in God's mission together when we pray. It unites us. It's an important way that we participate in the life of God together. It creates a unity actually between us and between us and God. God. We experience unity with each other and we celebrate the unity we have with God as we enter into this way of praying. I want to circle back to peanut butter and chocolate. Popcorn and butter. Sorry if you're getting hungry. The word and the prayer are meant to go together. Right? In prayer, we lay hold of all that God has promised us in his word, all that Christ has purchased for us in the gospel. Whatever we need, it is found in Christ. Whatever we lack, he has in fullness. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell bodily. Christ himself says that he's the solution for our thirst and for our hunger He promises that he will give rest to those in desperate need of rest. He came that we might have abundant life. In prayer, we draw near to him and draw on that abundance tangibly and practically. But where then does the confidence to draw near to him and expect him to hear us and meet our needs come from? Where does that come from for us? I think it primarily comes from his promises to us. Promises that he made to us that are recorded for us in his word. We are meant to be promise-pleading people. Our entire life is actually held together by his promises. If you think about it, he's a promise-making God. Think about your salvation. How is it that you know your sins have been forgiven in Christ? How is it that you know God loves you all the time, that his steadfast love never ceases. How is it that you know you've been made into a new creation and someday will be resurrected bodily with him? How is it that we know that? Well, we believe those things and we're sure about them because God has promised them to us. Our confidence in our salvation and our connection with him comes from his promises to us. Listen to how Peter writes about them in 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. He says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Great and precious promises that we become partakers of the divine nature god is a promise making god and we are meant to be a promise pleading people the promises of god that we find in the word are fuel and they're anchors and they're a map for our prayer life they are fuel and that they motivate us They propel our faith forward to give us confidence to humbly yet boldly approach God and ask for what he has promised us already. 
all that is already ours. The confidence we need to draw near to him and know that he hears us and will answer our prayer is fueled by his promises to us. For example, imagine that you are in need of something. You lack something in your life. And then you recall a promise from Romans 8.32 that says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You're in need of something. You're desperately in need of it. And then you read this promise that he's already done the huge thing. He's already done the big thing. He's given up his son for us showing us his love and his provision and what lengths he will go to to take care of us, if he's already done the big thing, then everything else in our life, we can be assured it is also in his hands, that everything needful that we have, need it for him, he will provide. With that in our mind, that promise from Romans 8.32, we can approach him differently than if it's not there. We approach him full of thanksgiving for our salvation, but then also, again, it's a humble confidence. I know you're going to take care of me, God. You promised you would. You have in Christ, and I know you will continue to do so. That promise fuels a faith-filled prayer life. It ignites our hearts and our minds with God's goodness and his provision so that we can draw on those resources that he has, on all of his resources for us with confidence. But then God's promises are also anchors for our life. They keep us securely fastened to him. Our doubts and challenges and our suffering can at times be like a strong wind that threatens to blow us off course and shipwreck our faith. It's in those moments when our faith can feel weak, we can begin to doubt that God is hearing us, or that he cares about our situation enough, it's in those moments that our hearts cry out like the psalmist's heart, Psalm 13, 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? When we feel that strong wind blowing and ourselves starting to be driven into despair, we go to his promises. We depend upon them and we plead them before God. His promises of constant love for us, his promise of constant presence with us, his promises of his ultimate victory over all the darkness that we experience both within us and without us. We know that if he has said it, if he has promised it, then he will do it. And we know we're not alone in feeling those things. We just read it from a psalm. That how long, O Lord, phrase is repeated throughout the psalms. Nothing could be better for us than to commune with God. Nothing. Especially in those times of desperate need in our life. To interact with him, to love him, to be with him, and then to be loved by him, filled up to overflowing with him, that's what we need in those moments of suffering and pain It's in that moment that we also start to get a glimpse of how it is that when we are weak, we are strong. In those moments, when we run out of options, we have nowhere and no one else to turn to, we are in the best place we could be to depend upon God. Prayer in those moments is no longer a last resort or a first resort. It's the only resort we have. And as challenging as that can feel, that's actually a very good thing for us. We're perfectly positioned in that moment to call out to God, depend upon Him, and trust in His promises to be there for us, even in the dark times. So the promises are a fuel. They propel us forward. They're an anchor that keeps us attached to Him, even when the wind blows and they're a map. The promises of God give us direction and help us know which place we can go. What is the safe course? What is it that God desires for our life? I know sometimes in prayer, one of the hardest things can be knowing just what should I say? 
What should I pray about? Once I've gone through my list, then what? That's where the promises really help us and, and are a map for us that we can follow to cry out to God with his heart the things that he desires for us in our life. The promises are found all throughout the Bible, and once you start seeing them, you'll see them everywhere. I'm going to give you three examples this morning of promises that for me over the years have been ones I have pleaded with God for over and over and over again and have seen him answer those prayers as I have been pleading these promises. I've pleaded them for myself and also for other people in my life. The first one is 1 John 1, 9. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a precious promise. We can know when we bring our sins before him, we confess he forgives us. It's especially important even when we don't feel like we're being forgiven, even when we feel like we're hanging on to something we did. We can bring them to him and depend upon this promise. Another one is Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And the third one is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. When we come to him and cast those things upon him, he promises he will meet us. He will take care of us. Last week I shared about Josh. Remember my furnace went out? I met Josh as he was replacing that furnace, and he was the expert, experienced worker who had a young apprentice with him. I want to remind you of the sentence that Josh said to me, the words he said to me as he and I talked about the value of apprenticeship for learning and following Jesus. He said, you can read all you want, but what you need to do is get out and experience it. Learn by doing, make mistakes, and learn from your mistakes. So good. Church, we can read about prayer all we want, right? We can study it. We can talk about it. We can read amazing biographies about it. And all of those things are good and needful for our souls. But in the end, if we want to grow in prayer, we just have to start praying. As apprentices of Jesus, if we want our prayer life to expand and to be truly life-giving, we need to just start praying. That's how we enter Christ's school of prayer. We pray and he teaches us. He connects with us and he shows us how to pray. He grows us. Last week, I shared the word hand with you. There were five easy ways of getting into the word. Hearing, let's see if I can do it. Hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating. And they go together. Just a simple tool. It's not a rule. It's a tool. This morning, I want to give you two more that have been helpful in my life and the lives of many people as they've tried to grow in their prayer life. The first one is one that I'm sure many of you have heard before. It's just an acronym. ACTS. ACTS. Stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. The point of ACTS isn't that this is how we need to pray now. You, you need to pray and adore God before you can confess to God. And then after you confess, you have to give thanksgiving. And then after you've done those three things, you can start asking for things. That's not the point of it at all. And I think, in fact, if it's used that way, it will steal your life away from you. You won't want to pray. But what Acts is and what it has been for me is a helpful reminder that I'm entering into a relational connection. And that if I only do supplication, which is just asking, if I only ask God for things, I don't ever praise him, I don't ever bring sins before him, I don't ever spend time thanking him for like my morning coffee and how good it tasted, I'm missing out on the full relationship that I could have with him. You know, Acts doesn't have a, a silent. Maybe you could add silence, an extra S. You wouldn't hear it when you say it, but you could say Acts, 
silence, because we need that too. I would commend this to you. These tools sometimes can seem simplistic, but for us who are trying to follow Jesus, maybe trying to restart a connection with him, these tools can be really, really helpful rails that we can just get on and go and not have to think too much. Sometimes if we overthink our prayer life, we just don't do it. So here's one tool. And then the second one captures this need to have both the word and prayer in our life. We need both the word and prayer in our life every day. Not as a task to get done, something to accomplish, but more like our breathing and our eating is to us each day. Sustenance to keep us alive and growing and flourishing in the world. So this is just a simple exercise called Seven Minutes with God. And once you've heard the name of it, you know what it is. Seven Minutes with God. In the seven minutes, you spend four minutes in the Word, getting in the Word like we've been talking about. And then three minutes praying, responding to what you read, bringing before God your concerns, your questions, your honest reaction. Seven minutes with God. Just like with Acts, seven minutes with God is not meant to be something like a rule that you have to, you have to do seven minutes for it to work. It's just a guide. And I have found, especially if you've been one that in the past has had a robust daily time with God, starting with seven minutes can be a very doable and helpful way to begin connecting with Him again. And if you've never done this daily, I encourage you to try it. Four minutes in the Word and three minutes praying and responding to God. Church, in Christ we have been given access to God in prayer. We have both the privilege and the call to connect with Him in both formal ways and informal ways. It's a gift of God that draws us into union with Him and union with each other as we pray together. As we intentionally practice prayer, as we plead His promises, I'm confident that He's going to continue to transform us as apprentices of Jesus who actually feel different to other people around us. Even if whatever that is is intangible, they can tell we have been with God, we have spent time with Him in intimate connection in prayer, an ever-deepening walk with Him. Let's pray for that. God, I pray that you would do that. I know that in this room, Lord, there are so many experiences, both joyful ones and frustrating ones, of prayer. Lord, I ask that wherever each one of us is, that you would meet us in that place. We know that you made us to be connected with you, to walk with you in communion, in deep unity. I pray that that would be our experience today. Lord, I pray that if that hasn't felt that way, if prayer has felt stale or you have felt distant, Lord, would you change that? I pray that you would feel near to us, that we'd be able to trust your promises that you've given to us, and that you would use us in prayer to change things both within us and around us. We pray in Jesus' name, thanking you for him, and we know that it is in him that we have this access to you. Amen.